Welcome to Mother Luck, an all-things momhood podcast with your host, Romy and Alex. As new moms ourselves, we are starting to understand the ups and downs of new motherhood. From sleepless nights to joyful milestones, we'll discuss all the things related to raising babies and how we're handling it. Join us as we share tips, tricks, vent sessions, and stories that will make you laugh, cry, and everything in between, because we're all surviving in this together. Hey, Mother Luck Mamas, this is Romy. And Alex. And today we actually have a really fun episode uh, for you guys. We are really focusing on bilingual speech pathology. And we thought this was a great next episode from our last episode where we had a YouTube star talk about her channel where she's educating children on Spanish. But I'm going to kick it off to Romy to talk about who we're having on and what we're going to learn. So today we have Liliana Diaz-Vasquez, who is a certified licensed bilingual speech pathologist, SLP for short. Uh, She's currently practicing in Chicago, Illinois. She's Latina. She's a small business owner. She's a full-time school-based SLP. She is a bilingual parent and a wife, and she takes so much pride in her roots, her culture, and her heritage language. Love that. Awesome. So Liliana, we're really excited to have you here today. Uh, I just wanted to open the space for you to introduce yourself, uh, what your hobbies are, what your family looks like. Yes, of course. Well, first off, thank you so much for inviting me onto the podcast. Um, As I was mentioning earlier to you guys, it's such an awesome thing that you guys are doing, you know, being able to share your experiences with, you know, moms, new moms, moms to be. So just know that what you guys are doing is very much appreciated, like in the community. Thank you. But thank you so much for inviting me. Um, So as you said, my name is Liliana Diaz-Vasquez. I am a Latina, Um, I'm bilingual, Spanish, English speaking. Um, Spanish was actually my first language uh, growing up. Um, I was born and raised in Chicago. Um, However, I am Mexican American. Um, Both of my parents migrated to uh, the United States a long time ago uh, from Mexico. I think they were in their teens, I believe, um, when they had first migrated. Um, but yeah, I was born here um, and my parents, you know, when when they you know settled here in Chicago and like started their roots, um, they were very young, but they were also just very hardworking. Um, my dad's a mechanic. Um, he like really started from like the bottom, kind of worked his way up to like eventually being able to own his own like mechanic business. Way to go. Um, yeah, and he's been working. He's still working. We're, we're waiting, hoping for, hoping for him to retire. Um, but um, and then my mom, when she before I was born, you know, she was in like retail for the longest. Um, and um, and then once I came along, she kind of just became a stay at home mom. Mm-hmm. Um, but both of my parents um, only spoke Spanish, and you know, like most migrants from you know other countries, there was kind of that like sink or swim it's either you learn you know english to like be successful get a job be able to communicate um or you know just kind of struggle so they they did struggle trying to especially like my dad trying to learn you know english but now i would say both of my parents do speak english they understand it pretty well but spanish has always been my home language and as i mentioned i i grew up speaking that Spanish only first. I also grew up with two other sisters. I'm the oldest. And uh, as like, I look back to like when I was like younger, like when I um, 
was only speaking Spanish. I too had to learn English as kind of as most of our students do in the school system. So I learned English through like friendships that I made on, with kids on the block um, and then learned, picked up more as like I enrolled in school. Mm -hmm. But I like to say that like I followed kind of that similar path that most of our bilingual students uh, follow once they're enrolled. It's kind of mm -hmm. just, you're kind of just thrown in and it's like, okay, mm -hmm. well, you, you could, you could, you gotta pick up on the English. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, fast forward to today, um, I still live in Chicago, <laughs> haven't moved, where I am currently raising my bilingual two-year-old son with my husband, who's also a uh, native Spanish speaker. And he shares kind of like a similar story with his family. Uh, his family is also from Mexico. His parents also migrated here to the U.S. from Mexico. And yeah, we're just kind of, <laughs> kind of going through this journey of parenthood right now. But I'm, I'm also a bilingual speech language pathologist, and I currently practice in Illinois. I've been practicing for the last 10 years. Wow. wow. I love that. So you said you're a one of three girls. I'm also one of three girls, but I'm the middle. So we very much had the same dynamic of my parents. We're Puerto Rican. So my dad was in the military stationed here. Spanish was our first language. Same whole spiel. So it's really nice to meet people who have kind of like, like similar backgrounds, even though we might not be from the same place. So it's really refreshing. So you mentioned you've been a speech pathologist for 10 years. What drove you into that field? Yeah, I mean, so it was it was my mom. Um, I, I like to think my mom. So if I go back, my middle sister, she actually uh, received speech therapy when she was little. She had a speech delay. And so my mom got to witness like firsthand what it was like to work or see a speech language pathologist uh, work with, you know, my sister. And the way my mom saw it, she was like, oh, my God, you know, that's such a fun career. All they do is play with kids. Like, it looks so, like, relaxing and easy. <laughs> so later on, when I went in college, I, I enrolled at University of Illinois at Chicago. And I was studying psychology. And as a freshman, I felt kind of, like, lost. I wasn't really sure if that's what I wanted to do. And I was kind of, like having doubts and kind of going through a crisis. I was just like, I don't want, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And my mom and I are just really close. And she's always just kind of been that like parent to just always give me advice, always kind of listen to my concerns and just be there for me whenever I needed her. And she's the one that actually told me, she's like, well, why don't you look into speech um, and look into how to become a speech therapist? And so at the time, I didn't really quite know what that career path looked like. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, going to my counselors and just asking them about speech therapy, and they didn't even know what that career path looked like. So I, I really had to do my own digging because I feel like the counselors that I had at my school, they just weren't sure. So my mom suggested that I talk to the speech therapist that actually worked with my sister. Wow. Um, and, and luckily she was still working at schools. So I kind of did my research and I was like, okay, let me try to find this person. So I went to my sister's elementary school and I got to set up an appointment with that SLP. And I just asked away. I asked so many questions like, you know, where did you go to school and what did you study? And then she was, you know, so helpful. And she just told me like, okay, you need to study communication sciences and disorders, get a bachelor's in that. And then speech language pathology is a master's program, which is like, and it's very specific. So you'll have to apply to grad school for that program. 
And so as soon as I you know, got all that information, I transferred schools. I went to St. Xavier University for undergrad and ended up finishing in communication sciences and disorders. So I got my bachelor's in that and then later applied to grad school for speech language pathology. And that's two years. Wow. Um, like the power of that interaction with your sister and her led to where you're at today. Like the power of having mentors and the power of like seeing someone else do it. Like I'm getting chills because like even your Instagram, like someone's going to see that and reach out to you if they haven't already and be like, how do I get, someone's going to ask you, how how do they get to where you're at today? Because they may not have that person around their circle. Yeah. It's honestly a full circle moment. And I love this. It's definitely one of those careers that I feel like you don't really hear that right. much about in school like you hear about like kind of your regular like oh doctor yep. you know psychologist <laughs> uh, nursing but yeah speech language pathology is just one of those careers you don't really learn that much about it in school or, or when you're attending career fairs yeah so yeah I just I'm just really lucky that I was able to find that SLP and, uh, and she was able to share all her tips well it's uh, also major props to you because you were what 19 and Mm-hmm. meeting with somebody, putting yourself out there, switching schools. That's really scary. So yeah. you, have, you have to be courageous and kind of take a leap. And that's really awesome. Yeah. And then being a first generation, yes. first time in college, my parents really didn't know anything Had an about FAFSA or nothing or <laughs> enrolling. And so, yeah, it was it was overwhelming. I think not only for myself, but for my parents, because they were just yeah. like, what are you doing? You're switching schools. What? Why? So I love that. So how can parents like Alex and I support our bilingual children in their vocabulary development in both languages? Because so I try to put a lot of emphasis on Spanish, but sometimes I worry, like, did I teach her that same word in English? Um, and then truly, sometimes by the end of the day, I'm exhausted because I'm talking to her, I think, a lot more in Spanish than I am in English because I know that when she goes to school, I'm pretty sure she's going to forget everything or even the conversations I have with my husband are in English. So is she picking up that much Spanish? Am I doing a good job? So how can parents support their bilingual children's vocabulary and development? Yeah, no, it's a lot. It it really is. And it's really kind of just unpacking all these little pieces and components. And, And it's true, bilingual parenting can be somewhat exhausting, especially if it doesn't come like, let's say, as natural with that home language um, as it did with maybe like our parents who Mm -hmm. only spoke Spanish. Mm -hmm. But I always tell parents, it it starts off with a plan and a goal in mind. So you kind of have to start thinking about, okay, what is, what is the goal that I want for my child? Do you want them to just understand that home language? Do you want them to be able to speak it fluently? Do you want them to be able to read and write it? Do you, are you looking for them to, you know, be able to go to sc- into a school that and learn how to read and write it? So you kind of have to like kind of break down those pieces first and ask yourself like, why are you doing this? Why is it important to you? What is your why? And then just focus on like, okay, well, do do I just want them to be able to exp- uh, express themselves with grandma and grandpa? Is that you know what I'm trying to achieve? Like that social conversational level of Spanish or whatever language it may be. And with bilingual parenting, it's truly a journey. And it's nice when you kind of have have an idea of like where you want to go with that journey. But at the same time, you also have to keep in mind flexibility because you can have a plan of like where you want to go and like exactly what you want for your child. 
but bilingualism, it just, it fluctuates. It's, you know, different and it's so complex and it could change at any point in time. So your plans, your goals can also change too. And you just kind of have to be flexible with it. Um, And I'll give you an example. So when I first started my bilingual speechy account, and then when I first started thinking about like parenting, I actually sat down with my husband and we talked about our language and and just what our plan was going to be with our bilingual parenting strategy that we were going to try to stick to, right? And so we talked about why it was important for us. Well, it's important because my husband's parents, they don't understand English. So I wanted my child to be able to communicate with grandparents. With my family, my parents do understand English, but I still wanted my child to be able to maintain their heritage language because it's important. It's, you know, part of who I am, part of who we are. It's that identity piece. So overall, we just, we established, you know, it's important for us because it's part of our culture. It's part of our heritage. It's who we are as a family. And we want that communication piece with our family, extended family with grandparents. So then we started kind of thinking about, okay, well, do we just want him to be able just to have a conversation? What do we want for the future? And then we kind of started kind of getting further ahead, right? And we were like, okay, no, I want him to be able to read and I want him to be able to write. And so we started kind of writing down and literally writing down what we wanted for our child um, in terms of language. And then we thought about all of these like parenting styles that would fit best Mm -hmm. with our family dynamic. So I don't know if you guys have heard, but when it comes to bilingual parenting, there are pretty much four main parenting styles. There's one parent, one language. So that is when one parent will speak language A and the other parent might speak language B. And that works usually well when there's more than two languages being spoken at home. And then there's also minority language at home. So that's when you only speak um, your home language, your target language, whether that be Spanish, Arabic, Polish, and that's the language that you stick to at home. And then there's also time, context, and setting. So that kind of looks like maybe, let's say grandparents are the ones that primarily speak Spanish, for example, and your child's getting that exposure, that uh, language learning through them. And then when they come home, it's like English. So it's depending on these on the setting and the environment. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is mixed languages. So you guys are just kind of going with the flow and just, you know, speaking of a combination of, you know, one or two or three languages at home. And it's just kind of mixed. Now, I know there's these like categories, right? But what I had learned and once I was like in the thick of it is that you have to be flexible because you can just have a plan and then it might not work that way. So when we, my husband and I sat down and talked about this, we had said, oh, for sure, minority language at home, that's the parenting strategy that we're going to go with. We're only going to speak in Spanish. And then keep in mind, my husband and I are both bilingual. Even though we both grew up speaking Spanish first over the years, as most bilingual children do in the U.S., English kind of starts to dominate. And Mm -hmm. especially if you're in English only instruction throughout school, you go to college, like every, your whole world's in English and you're just competing with this, this English world. Right. And it's natural for your, your proficiency to fluctuate over the, over the years, especially if you're always in an English dominant environment. So I would say like our Spanish at home, um, it's, we're proficient. We can, you know, communicate our ideas. 
but we're still somewhat English dominant. And it was hard at first to do a minority language at home. We were so for it. And then later we would realize like, oh, wait, I don't know how to say that word in, in Spanish. <laughs> or like, hold on, I have to Google it. Or like, yes. almost like our ideas wouldn't even flow as naturally. Yeah. So then we were just like, you know what? We're just going to go with the flow, whatever works best. Instead of forcing it, we're just going to do mixed languages, which was fine because for me, I know my son's getting that exposure in Spanish through grandparents. Right now, my son, while I'm working, my husband work, is working. My son is um, being watched by both sides of the, of the mm -hmm. families um, mm -hmm. with the grandparents. And so he's getting that Spanish exposure consistently. Mm -hmm. And then here at home, we do uh, speak to him in Spanish, but it's like a mix. I would say we're, we're code mixing a lot. Mm -hmm. We're code switching. It's like we're speaking Spanglish. <laughs> so we ended up just kind of like changing our style and just, you know, saying like, you know what? Mixed languages is fine. And I know at some point, as our son probably enters school, English will probably kind of dominate it a little more. But that's when we have to change up our plan again. And we have to be flexible again. And we have to kind of come back to like the drawing board and say, okay, how can we continue to uh, prioritize our home language? And what can we do now? Like that, that's going to like make him learn just more Spanish. So it's truly a journey. It's constantly changing. And that's, it's just like how bilingualism is. Bilingualism truly, it's just complex. It's fluid. Um, and it could change at any point in time, depending on your setting, depending, like, let's say if you guys were to move to Puerto Rico, all of a sudden you're getting all of that like Spanish exposure. Yeah. So your proficiency might fluctuate too. And you just kind of have to think of it that way and kind of set goals for yourself. But yeah, I would say when it comes to supporting your child at home, think about the consistency that you want to give. Think about modeling at home. Children learn through play, keep it fun, bring in literacy, bring in lots of reading, incorporate it in your routine through social language, through modeling by just like talking to yourself while you're, let's say you're washing dishes, like, mm -hmm. oh, estoy lavando los trastes, están bien mm -hmm. sucios. Like, so that way your child's constantly hearing that language. But mm -hmm. I always like to tell parents, think of yourself as a narrator, constantly expose your child to that language at home. It's all about consistency. I love that. A couple of things that I wanted to talk about that you touched on is, so for me, my husband does not speak any Spanish and I'm away from family. So I would literally be the only source except for YouTube um, <laughs> to teach my daughter Spanish. So I love the idea of narrating everything. One, that's going to help my proficiency because mm -hmm. it is like fluid. And two, obviously it's going to teach Sophia Spanish as well. But would you say you would recommend like the mixed style for my family dynamic where it's I'm the only Spanish speaker and have to speak English to my husband. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, I can't really tell you what works yeah. best for your family dynamic. Like, you'll find that out. Like, if you want to do, let's say, you do Spanish, your husband does English, and then when you communicate with your husband, it's in English, and you find that that actually works better, then you found your bilingual parenting method. But, yeah. you know, typically it's hard to for me to say, okay, you should do this one or you should do that yeah. one because it's totally, totally based on what you want out of this bilingual journey and what's going to work best. Because like I said, you, you might just 
think, oh yeah, I'm going to stick to this parenting method and this is the only method I'm going to do. And then later you realize, wait, it's not quite as smooth. It's not quite as, you know, working as you thought it would. So do whatever just works best for your family. And if it yeah. is easier for you to stick to Spanish and for your husband to stick to English, then that's fine. Yeah, that's a good point. And you mm -hmm. kind of touched on code switching and language mixing. That's what exactly does that mean for somebody who isn't familiar with like speech pathology and terminology? Yeah, so code mixing would be like me mixing English and Spanish in the same sentence. So I might just say, I'm going to go to La Tienda. That's like a code mixed sentence. So it's, Spanglish, would you say? Yeah, like Spang I, I, I think of Spanglish more when you actually take a word from English and a word. Oh, from yes. And you actually make a new word. So like. Like jacket, chaqueta. Like people call it jaqueta. And yeah, like or like yard. Like take part, part, part. And it's yes, on Yeah. <laughs> So yes. that I think of Spanglish as that, whereas like okay. is more just like using, you know, pulling from two linguistic repertoires from language A, from language mm -hmm. B, and using both grammatical components to make a sentence because code mixing is very complex. It's an awesome skill that many bilinguals have. And there's actually a way to code mix. Like when you code mix, that, that sentence makes sense. Yeah. Um, so you're actually doing like really high level thinking and like pulling from two vocabularies to put make a sentence that grammatically makes sense in two languages. So that's code mixing. Code switching would be like, let's say I'm having a conversation with you in English, and then I just decide to switch into Spanish conversation. You're switching between two languages completely. Mm -hmm. And then you might do that based on your environment, the setting. So like, let's say if someone on this podcast were to join us that only spoke Spanish, we would switch our language to just speak yeah. Spanish. But yeah, I mean, bilingual fam families do that. And sometimes there's like this misconception that you shouldn't do that. But honestly, code mixing, code switching, these are all like behaviors that you know, many bilinguals do, and it's completely normal. And that's just the way language is. It's very complex and cool. And in my household, we code mix a lot. And I think it's just whatever flows more naturally is, it's, I think, is the best. <laughs> I, I think this is the first time I've ever heard of this in a positive way, ever. I think every time I've heard of code switching or like just being in the moment, it hasn't necessarily been positive. It's like, oh, you can't do it in one, like, I've never heard it in a good way. So like, this is great. Like, I love this. And I, you've given us so many nuggets that when we hang up tonight, I'm probably going to like stay up and like Google, like bilingual teen parenting styles and like all the things because you've dropped so many good things that I've Perfect. never heard of or never thought about before. So this is so amazing. Yeah. And I, um, I remember, I think you posted a story about how different dialects like are looked at differently. And I mentioned how I was in a meeting at work and we're casting a bilingual talent, but apparently in Hollywood, it's known you don't hire people with Puerto Rican accents. And it's because of that, because, you know, we're known to do code mixing and like Spanglish here and there. So it's just really good conversation and validating to know it's okay yes. to code mix. It's totally normal, especially being in a English dominated environment. 
Yeah, there, there's a lot of misconceptions out there as well as just biases. And mm-hmm. I would I would even go as far as saying like racism towards, you know, people who have accents and mm-hmm. Big know, time. other languages. And so part of like the work that myself and a lot of other um, SLPs and other bilingual uh, parenting accounts do is kind of just advocacy on how you should really just embrace your language and you know be proud of your language be proud of code mixing like this Mm -hmm. is amazing it's an amazing skill to have it's an advantage and being proud of that and just whenever someone says something of whether you're an accent or whatever it may be like just be ready to defend yourself and be like no like my accent is beautiful i feel so empowered just in this conversation (laughs) like i feel so good and and i'm kind of getting like memories of when i was younger my aunts and stuff would ask me like how do you like how do you go so quick from one to the other and so i guess i have had positive reinforcement and i had and i remember being younger people asking me in what language do i think yeah which is kind of a funny question but i think in english if that makes sense but when when i interact with my parents i feel like i almost kind of think in spanish i don't know does that make sense yeah, no, yeah, I, I've gotten asked that before, too. And I think there's certain words and certain vocabulary that I will have in one language and mm-hmm. certain words that I only have in the other. Yeah. And when it comes, to, like you said, thinking, I feel like I do think a lot in English. Mm-hmm. But then other things like and the first thing that comes to mind, for example, is like religion. Like, I only know how to pray in Spanish. Uh-huh. I, I can't, I don't even understand mass in English. Um, <laughs> and, you know, and this is normal. Like, you know, we, we all have certain repertoires that we, we pull from and certain vocabulary words that we're like so used to or certain settings that we're mm-hmm. so used to mm-hmm. maybe in, uh, in one language or the other. And it's different for everyone. That's like the beauty of it is like some people might say, oh, no, I think only in English. And others you know, might say another language. And others might say, no, I kind of think in both. So it, it totally varies. Mm-hmm. Bilingualism is different person to person. Hey, fellow mother like mamas and dads who are brave enough to listen in. Just wanted to pop in and remind you that if you're enjoying our content, make sure you hit the follow button on our podcast about all things momhood. Honestly, it's like being part of an exclusive club, but without the secret handshakes. And while you're at it, make sure to rate and review our podcast to help others find us and grow our community. I kind of want to get back to like children, toddlers um, and their language development. So what are some common like developmental milestones that parents should be looking for when raising bilingual babies? I would say the one main thing that all parents should always keep in mind, bilingual parents raising bilingual children, is that developmental milestones are universal. So regardless of the language spoken, bilingual children meet the same developmental trajectories as monolingual children. So let's say, for example, those developmental milestones that you guys kind of got to see and got to witness seeing your baby reach, it's... It's, a, it's on a similar path to as compared to babies that may only know English. So for parents, if you have little ones from like, think birth to three, we're looking for those like res- reflexive vocalizations, burping, crying, things like that. Three to six months, we're looking at vocalizations that vary with better resonance. Like now they're like making a couple more sounds, mm-hmm. newer sounds. And then six to nine months, they're having more consistent like babbling like baba mama we call it reduplicated babbling with like those similar consonants 
And then nine to 12 months, we're looking at more complex syllables and they're saying all these strange little strings of like sounds and bucket and kind of playing with their sounds and consonants. And then by, you know, one to like 18 months, they are, you know, saying like six to 10 words and they might not be perfect, but they are, you know, approximations. Maybe they're saying Bibi for Biberon. Maybe they're saying Agua, but you just kind of keep that in mind that just because your child is bilingual does not mean that they're going to be delayed in in any way. They're still expected to meet those same milestones for walking, crawling, you name it. Mm -hmm. It's good to know. So if they have a challenge in one language, are they going to have a challenge in the other? Or like, what are common challenges to look out for? So in regards to speech, for a bilingual child, when there's a true delay, they will have difficulties with that specific concept, whether it's speaking or not understanding vocabulary or not understanding questions, whatever it may be, you'll see that difficulty in both languages. Okay. That's a true delay. And I'll give you an example because I recently did this with my son and I think I posted about it on Instagram. Let's say, for example, we're looking at identification of body parts. So I wanted to see if my son understood his body parts. If I say, where's your eyes? Where's your nose? Where's your mouth? I wanted to see if he understood. So I kind of put him to the test and I noticed that he only understood some in one language. So if I said like eyes, he had no clue what, like what that word was. But then if I said ojos, he was able to point to his eyes. So like, that's an example of like, maybe he doesn't know that concept in the other language but he knows it in, in, let's say, Spanish. So there, you know, we wouldn't say he has a delay. He know he understands the concept. It's just, he only knows it in Spanish. So that wouldn't be a delay at all. But if it were a concern and I say, show me your eyes, where's your ojos, nose, nariz, mouth, boca, and he's unable to do any of those in both languages, then we're, then we're kind of looking at, okay, what's going on. He's not really, you know, understanding this in both languages. Is this something I should be concerned about? That's kind of the way to look at it when you have bilingual kiddos. So follow up question, because I feel like Sophia can do a lot of animal animal sounds now, but she mostly does them in English. And when I try to like say gato or leon or something, she doesn't quite understand. What are some like tips to, because I also don't feel like I don't want to confuse her if I'm now introduced another name for the same thing. So that's a common also misconception that I think a lot of parents will have. It's like, am I causing confusion by introducing the second language? And no, you know, children of all ages are capable of learning two languages at the same time, and it will not cause confusion. Their brains are so flexible. And if anything, like right now is like the perfect time to introduce more than one language. And there's also this like misconception that people think, oh, well, maybe I should just stick to one because then I don't want to further, you know, delay them. But there's so much research to support not only that, or debunk not only that bilingualism does not cause, you know, delays or confusion, but there's also research to show that there's so many benefits to okay. you know, introducing a second language. So no, you're not confusing for saying it twice. Or mm-hmm. I always like to tell parents, like, do what's natural for you in the moment. The other language will come. I mean, unless that's your 
unless that's your goal, right? If your goal is to like really teach both, then, you know, go ahead. But I always say, you know, try to do natural and don't worry. So don't worry so much about being like, oh, now I got to say it in English. Now I got to say it in Spanish. Children will pick up on it. And if, if you're playing in Spanish at that moment, then go with Spanish. And if you're playing in English, then go with English. And it's okay for your child to know the animal sounds in just one language versus, you know, the other. And, And keep in mind, just like, on the topic of animal sounds. They're different, right? In languages. So um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So like, let's say the dog in English goes woof woof and in Spanish it goes wow wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, it's, and it's okay. Like if your child only knows it in Spanish or mm-hmm. only knows it in English, you know, that that's perfectly fine. And I'm super happy you brought up the assessment you did on your son because it was so powerful. I watched it. You said if it would have just been in, done in one language, you would have failed. But because he did it in both, he essentially like passed. And I feel like that's so powerful because I remember being in like elementary school and my cousin immigrated from Mexico and he got bumped down a grade because when they tested him in one language that he did not speak, they were like, no, you don't know anything. So you're getting pushed down to like kindergarten because I think I was like in the first grade. So that that opened my eyes tremendously. Like the impact you're having as a bilingual SLP, everyone needs to have a bilingual or a multilingual SLP in their schools because these kids mm-hmm. are getting bumped down when they may, they may not need to be bumped down. Yep. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, these are things that still happen in today's society where kids and multilingualism, bilingualism is, is really common. And children in the school settings are not receiving those appropriate evaluations or assessments for whatever the reason may be. And that's kind of what I try to do on, on my Instagram. And I just try to bring like awareness to these like issues that we often come across in the educational system or in just like the speech language pathology world or in the pediatric world. Cause sometimes you'll get these like tips from pediatricians that may be like, oh, just stick to one language because you'll confuse them. And we, we just don't want that misinformation to continue mm-hmm. happening. So, you know, it's, it's partly like it's part of what I do on, on my account. It's so important. I'm so glad we came across your account because I think you're doing really good things and really broadening. Even we're bilingual people and you're dropping nuggets on us, too. So <laughs> very, very good stuff here. So. <laughs> That was also great. So can you share with us a success story, just of an experience you've had with one of your students, one of your kids? Yeah, of course. So a while back ago, I used to work in the early intervention setting. So this is the birth to three population. And I did this for several years um, where I would go into the family's homes and I would work with their little one on either... You name it. I had kids with like speech delays, with global delays, um, you name it. But um, now I work with primarily preschoolers, I would say like uh, pre-K through second grade. But being in this like setting, whether it's like the birth to three setting or the three to what is it like seven, eight year old setting, sometimes you're the first contact person, the first therapist working with the family along this like journey, oftentimes that the family will need to continue following for quite a while. They might, you know, go through many therapists, but being in the earlier intervention setting, a lot of times you're the first person that, you know, is working with their child for the very first time. And they often, you know, these families will go to with tons of questions. And, and you're, I think, I think part of the reward is like, 
seeing the little ones making progress. And because you're that first contact person, a lot of times you get that moment of sharing that first word <laughs> with mm -hmm. the family. So I, I had many moments, you know, when I was in early intervention where my kiddos would say their first word and oh. that alone was always just like so heartwarming and the parents would just jump for joy and they would start crying. Like I had, I've had parents <laughs> cry before because you know, like, oh, he's never said anything before. And then all of a sudden he's saying bubbles or more, <laughs> whatever it may be. And I think it's kind of the same with like my preschoolers now, because a lot of these preschoolers, maybe they didn't receive early intervention and this is their first time in school. And this is their first time also receiving therapy. And I think same thing, being that first con uh, person of contact and being able to see that progress and being able to like say their first words, say combine two words or whatever it is that we're working on. I think that in itself has been really rewarding and it's kind of what keeps me going. <laughs> yes. It's just, it's the cutest thing ever and just the most heartwarming feeling ever. I yes. love that so much. So that actually leads me to another question. So in your school setting, are they referred to you by your teachers there? And then in your business setting, is it the parents that refer the kids or like, where do the kids come from? At, at school, I will get referrals from teachers. So teachers that might have a concern are like, hey, I don't, I don't understand Jimmy or Jimmy's only, you know, pointing, not quite, quite saying any words yet. Like I'm kind of concerned. And sometimes these parents, they might not know, you know, what typical language development is. Like they, this, this might be their first child and they might just think, oh, I, th I thought this was normal. So it's once again, being that, you know, person of contact first and being like, oh no, like your child would benefit from getting evaluated because we're seeing this. And then by this age, by three years, you know, your child should be, should be speaking in sentences now. So yeah, I'll get the referral sometimes from teachers. Sometimes I'll get it from parents. Sometimes, you know, a parent might just come up to me and, or, and say like, hey, like I, um, I'm not sure why my child's not speaking yet. Like, can he get evaluated? And then sometimes I'll get students that came from early intervention. So that birth to three program, and now they're going into the school setting and they already have some services in place and they, they have a plan ready to go. An IEP is what we call it, an individualized education plan mm -hmm. that requires them to still continue to get services. Mm -hmm. um, so it just depends, but it, it could be a mixture of all those three options. Wow. And what led you to start your business? If you're already doing it full time. Yeah. So I don't see clients privately. So I only work full time in the school setting. Mm -hmm. um, and then my business is more so of a speech therapy materials, like advocacy, mm -hmm. Love that. Um, education mm -hmm. type business. It's actually quite a long story, but let me try to like shorten it. 10 years ago, when I <laughs> um, first started working as an SLP, I knew that I wanted to work with the bilingual English Spanish speaking population as a Latina. Like this, this was something I just kind of knew from like the very start, whether yeah. I ended up in psychology or not. I just knew I wanted to help bilingual and in English Spanish speaking families. And so when I first started working, I expressed that to the hiring manager and they were like, perfect. You know, Chicago is so diverse. Mm -hmm. We need you know, SLPs that are bilingual in like multiple parts of the city. They're like, perfect. We're going to put you in, in an area that um, is actually 90% Spanish speaking. So I work in an area that 
I would say it's 100% like Latin families with 90% of them speaking predominantly Spanish. When I was in my school, my very first school, I was working with all of these families that only spoke Spanish and that had all of these, you know, backgrounds and stories and about how they migrated here and, and just they needed resources. Like I was mentioning earlier, like maybe they're coming with their kiddos and they're not sure about typical bilingual language development and, and they need that information. They need information on how they could best support their child at home so that they can learn how to communicate. And so I was on this like search for resources in Spanish. I was looking for like letters and information that I could send home to parents, as well as therapy materials as well too, because I was working with pre-K through eighth grade and I needed materials in Spanish and whether that be games or activities, worksheets, you name it. So I started creating my own resources, my own worksheets, my own just everything for speech therapy because there wasn't anything out there at the time. And like I said, this was 10 years ago. And slowly, you know, that kind of started piling up, like all my, all my little crafts and things that I was like making and activities and I would laminate them. And back then, you know, I was like single, no, <laughs> like no, no kid, I would go home and I would laminate for hours and make things on the computer back when I had so much time. What is um, that? I know, <laughs> time. <laughs> so yeah, I would, I would go home and just make all of these things for my students so that, you know, I can help them achieve their communication goals. And I would say I did that for like two years. And by two years, I already had tons of things like just stocked up in my speech therapy room and on my desk at work. And then one day um, we had the staff meeting with a couple of SLPs. They came, they came to my school. And after we were done, one of the SLPs asked me if she could browse through my materials because all of my materials were right there on my desk and she, you could see them from like where we were sitting. So I told him like, yeah, go ahead. And pretty much the whole table, everyone got up and, and they went, they started kind of browsing through it. Cause as SLPs, you love kind of just knowing what else is out there and what, what else are you, are you doing with your students and kind of sharing ideas and activities. And so the person was like, wow, like, where did you get all this? Like in Spanish, like, where did you find this? And and I was like, oh, I, I made it. And they were just like, what? What do you mean you made, like you made this? And one of them had suggested at the time, the website Teachers Pay Teachers. And it's a website where teachers and educators upload their creations and other teachers will buy it. And there's like lessons on their activities and just pre-made things, which makes the life of teachers so much easier. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'm gonna look into this. And sure enough, I was like, all right, let me start uploading this and one, one activity at a time. And, and I wanna say like over a span of like months, my materials started kind of getting noticed and it was it was nice because I was helping other bilingual SLPs and helping other bilingual families with like the content that I was creating on Teachers Pay Teachers and then it was also nice because I was also earning like a second income from it so with the income my earnings that I had earned over the years I was eventually able to establish my own business where I can actually make materials for other bilingual or even like English speaking educators, SLPs for parents. And that's kind of where it's kind of evolved to now. So 
Now, like back then, most of my things were all like digital. And just recently, about a year ago, I was finally able to create actual like flashcards and things for, you know, therapists to actually use in therapy aside from just like paper and printing and things like that. And then my hope one day is to like be able to make all sorts of things like games and all sorts of like activities that are tangible goods that you can actually hold in a variety of languages. Um, Right now, most of my things are mainly focused on like English and Spanish, but I would one day want to like include things in like Arabic and Polish and you name it, because being in this field, only 8% of our, I guess, SLPs are multilingual. That's just not like Mm -hmm. enough. And then it's not enough compared to our, our pop, the population of like clients that we're working with. And a lot of the times there's just this huge need for these resources for families in other languages. Mm-hmm. And I want to be able to do that one day with like my business and to continue growing it so that it could eventually reach all sorts of families that speak different languages. That's so cool. I think it's a testament to who you are too, is it's really started out of your passion and your want to help and kind of turned profitable for you. And those are like the best success stories that have power to keep going and growing because it, it goes back to your passion. So I, I'm so glad you asked that question. Wow. I'm so I mean, I'm so impressed. Are you proud of yourself? You should be. <laughs> yeah. I, I do. I do have moments where I'm just like, oh, that, that, like that felt amazing. Yes. Like, I think when my flashcards first came out. I, I think I cried. <laughs> so well, I, I was like beyond happy, beyond thrilled that I was finally able to like make a product from like the very beginning from scratch, from like the, the concept to finally getting it printed out and manufactured and everything. And, and I think every time we, we like release new flashcards, new sounds, I always kind of get so like giddy. (laughs) Yes, that is a beautiful story. I'm so happy you shared that with us. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you guys. Yes. So we asked all of our guests, have they had a mother luck moment of the week or of recent time? So I'm going to ask you, what is your mother luck moment that you've had recently? (laughs) I, I think I wouldn't say it's necessarily a moment. I think it's a phase. I think it's this whole potty training phase has mm. been just so intense. I, I don't know if you guys are there yet. Are you guys there? No, right? I feel like I'm going to be there soon, but not quite. <laughs> not quite. Oh, my God. It is just so much easier when they're in diapers. <laughs> so my son, I did the potty training over the summer. And luckily, my son was able to you know catch on really fast. And... Ever since then, like going to the bathroom (laughs) constantly on like my mind, like all the time, because they just, they're, they're still learning to like hold it. They're still learning kind of to go when they should go and all of that be like before you leave the house. And so I, I think just recently, like we, we took my son to swimming and we probably had to stop five times to pull over so that he can use the restroom. And and luckily we have like a border potty little chair in the trunk of our truck. So like we'll pull over like on the street, open the trunk and then get him out and pull his pants down and everything and have him pee like while we're like standing there in the middle of the road. And it happens so often. Like he just, it, it happened today. Like I'm, I'm, once I picked him up from grandma's, I told him, I was like, get his, 
¿quieres hacer popó? Vamos, vamos al baño. Do you want to go to the bathroom? And he said no. <laughs> he said no. And then as soon as we got in the car and drove off, instantly had to go to the bathroom. No. Pull over, open the trunk, bring him out. Like it's a process. No. It's like non-stop. And, and then also too, like, I think I know like every public restroom out there now, like, <laughs> you, you name it. Like I've been to like every Target's bathroom, any oh, like no. big store. I, I know where their bathrooms are at. <laughs> Wild. Well, that's like a mom hack for long road trips. I'm going to make sure whenever that time comes, I'm going to have a yes. baby potty in the back. <laughs> yeah, you, you need it. So smart. <laughs> that was a good one. I love that. A bit in a uh, mother luck phase. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Well, thank you so, so, so much. We really enjoyed this. This was so good. We learned so much and we will continue to learn so much because I have a lot of Googling to do tonight. Yeah. And we're yeah. going to include all of your information in the show notes below so people can follow you, interact with you and learn more. Oh, yeah. Thank you. It was a pleasure and definitely feel free to reach out if you guys ever have questions. Thank awesome. you so much. Thank you. Y'all, that was such a great episode. I learned so okay. much. And I felt so validated with so many things that she said, especially with the code switching and language mixing, because I have felt that in the past, people might not realize that I speak fluently or don't, but I really understand both and I can speak both. And I just felt validated that it's okay to not get it right 100% of the time. So I absolutely loved having her. I hope you guys did too. And I hope you guys follow her and listen to her and just keep up with the things that she's posting because she posts amazing things on her, on her social media. Yeah. And I think recently she did like a week's worth of live mm -hmm. content on Instagram and it was really great. But same Romy, I just, I felt like, especially because we're both from Georgia where it's not 90% population of Spanish speakers is maybe like two or something. <laughs> I just felt validated in young me and as parent me yes. raising Sophia that it's okay to code mix and language switch and all of those terms. So very, very helpful and moving forward. It helps us feel more prepared as parents. Definitely. I love this. I love what we're doing. Mm -hmm. So what's next? So TBD. I, <laughs> maybe TBD, but I think mm -hmm. before we started recording, Romy mentioned that this is starting to become a really great resource for moms, which is true. Like when we first started this podcast, we want to highlight our journeys and where we were at. And we've been able to find, you know, great people to talk about different stages of pregnancy, mom, children's development. And I'm excited to see where we keep going with that. In regards to next episodes, that is very TBD right now. Maybe we'll talk about baby led weaning or solids, mm -hmm. or maybe we'll talk about the first year with our kids. Cause now yes. that we officially turned one, we both have toddlers. Yes. But I just want to say I'm thankful for the space. Me too. I love it. Yep. So until next time. Until next time. Yes. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning into Motherluck, an all things momhood podcast. Remember, no matter how challenging it may seem, you're doing an amazing job as a parent. And whatever's working for you and your baby is what's right. If you have any questions or topics you'd like for us to discuss in future episodes, reach out to us on our social media channels listed in the show notes below. Until next time, keep rocking motherhood and cherishing every moment with your little ones. This is Romy and Alex signing off. <laughs>